0: It's that time already. Our spring football preview is next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The
1: team, the team, the team. <laughs>
0: Looks
1: deep for Anthony Waits for him. Hey, now no. Brady
0: gets to Turns
1: in and a touchdown night again. Schultz, just before Brazil got him, and a
0: leaping interception by Woodson.
1: Eyeball back to throw over the middle,
0: caught by Kohler at the 5 on his feet, touchdown Michigan!
1: 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan, but Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Bank. And here's your first play,
0: pressure coming, second, it is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic, option, and Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score, oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson. win the championship again, because we're going to play as a team, and when we play as a team, and the old season is over, you and I know, it's going to be Michigan again, Michigan. Go Blue and welcome to this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. I'm Steve Dace and the Wolverines are underway officially in their defense of their Big Ten championship. Let's just stop and pause right there. Doesn't that just sound good? Even better than good. It sounds right, proper, rightful, you might even say. The Michigan Wolverines are back where they belong, defending Big Ten championships in football. It's taken a long time, so I won't apologize at all to Coach Jim Harbaugh in savoring it a little bit longer but yes now work begins on defending that championship here in 2022 spring football for michigan got underway last week and then they're breaking now for spring break before resuming here in about a week or so and i've got to think this is the earliest any team any Michigan team anyway, has started spring football. Maybe this is the earliest any team in the country has. So as we get underway here for 2022, I think there are five questions that need to get answered over the course of these 15 spring football practices leading up to Gasp. Yes, we will actually have a Michigan spring game, a real one, the first one in several years where they're going to draft players on both sides. That's coming up on the Big Ten Network on April the 2nd. Between now and then, here are the questions I think that need to be answered. In order of importance, uh, and this is just, you know, this one is part and parcel for any program, particularly one of a upper tier status What newcomers are ready to come in and contribute right away? I think it's a baker's dozen of early enrollees that Michigan has uh, already in school from another top 10 class under Jim Harbaugh. One player I'm looking forward to that I've read an awful lot about is the wide receiver out of Oregon, Darius Clemens. Uh, Also Amari Walker, the wide receiver slash defensive back that was a long time Notre Dame commitment that uh, flipped to Michigan after many months of rumors, he would do so. He finally did actually on signing day and Mason Graham, is a defensive lineman that I don't think a lot of people enough have talked about. And, and if you look at his recruiting profile, late bloomer, really came on his senior year, was the Los Angeles County Player of the Year, and he's coming in and playing in the interior defensive line where Michigan could use some help after the premature loss of Chris Hinton, who apparently could not wait to be a third-day NFL draft pick, uh, if that. Uh, But uh, Graham looks like, from a physical standpoint, he's already a college football player. So those are a few of the newcomers that are in those early enrollees that I'm looking forward to seeing how they develop here in the spring number four uh, did harbaugh hit the jackpot again with new coaching hires i mean the good news with jim harbaugh is he knows how to hire good assistant coaches he's got a good eye for coaching talent the bad news is he's had plenty of practice all right i mean guys just don't stay here very long maybe it's just they you know don't mesh for a long time with jimmy maybe it's that they look for greener pastures and to move on. I mean, Harbaugh has actually developed a pretty impressive, uh, you know, coaching tree uh, from, from his lineage already as a head coach in college football. But whatever the case is, um, and it differs individually, it, it's, it really is amazing how often he has proven to be right about the new guys that he brings in. Now, last year, last year was incredible. Uh, seven new new coaches last season even though there weren't that many spots but remember mo linguist left early from co-defensive coordinator with matt with uh, mike mcdonald to go be the head coach at buffalo so we ended up with seven different coaching changes from the disastrous 2020 season and every single one of those punches landed Phenomenal job assembling that staff by Jim Harbaugh, which probably had as much to do with him winning national coach of the year as anything else. Now, though, you got to do a lot of this all over again. You're replacing both coordinators. You're moving guys like Matt Weiss and Ronald Bellamy to new positions on the staff. You're promoting a couple of guys uh, to new positions. And Sharon Moore and Steve Klinkscale, you're bringing in a few new guys. Another new defensive coordinator, Again, this will be Michigan's third different defensive coordinator in the last three seasons. This time it's Jesse Minter, who though also comes from the John Harbaugh coaching tree and runs a similar defense and almost got hired at Michigan a year ago. But still, Michigan needs, Harbaugh needs to hit the jackpot with new coaching hires once again. Number three, where does the pass rush come from? And, and this is going to have a lot to do with the success of the new defensive coordinator. Mike McDonald is who should have won the Broyles Award last year. If any Michigan coach was going to win it on the staff, he should have won it, not Josh Gaddis. That being said, though, and I'm sure Mike McDonald will be the first person to tell you, it does make your job as a defensive coordinator easier if you know that in pretty much any passing situation, you can just rush your front four and get some form of pressure on the quarterback. Now, you're the one dictating matchups. You're the one dictating situations. Uh, You're not on defense defensively. You're playing offense now. You get to be aggressive or not. You get to play aggressive or not. You get to throw multiple fronts or not. You are really dealing with uh, a loaded hand when you've got Aiden Hutchinson and then David Ojabo each coming off the edge in every single passing situation. And so many, a lot has been made about how much of Michigan's sack uh, percentage last year was those two guys, and I get it. Some of that's overrated though, and here's why: those two guys were so good that Michigan didn't have to blitz a lot. They could just rush their front four quite a bit. Now this year they won't have that. All right, and so now you're going to get more uh, more of a look at more complicated fronts and coverages, uh, you know, blitz disguises, things of that nature, because they're going to have to manufacture that pass rush from those two guys, two guys on one team finished in the top five all time in season sack totals at Michigan. Think about all the great defensive players that have played at Michigan over the years. And two of the greatest sack artists in a singular season in all of history were on last year's team. So replacing them will be one of the biggest challenges for new defensive coordinator Jesse Minter. And it's not so much replacing them as it is figuring out other ways to replace that production. Number two, Does J.J. McCarthy truly challenge Cade McNamara for the starting quarterback job? And what I mean truly challenge, meaning could he topple him from that job? Now, I think the answer to this question is yes. However, I've seen exactly as many Michigan football practices as all of you. Answer zero. So when we see the talent flash on the field on game day, when we see the ability flash on the field on game day, There's never been a point in time that Cade McNamara has done something athletically in a Michigan football uniform that made me think, I don't, man, I don't think J.J. McCarthy can do that. On the other hand, there have been plenty of times I've seen J.J. McCarthy flash something that I thought to myself, I don't think Cade McNamara can do that. But the question is, can J.J. McCarthy protect the football? and be consistent down to down. That will be key in determining who is ultimately the starting quarterback of this football team. But I ultimately do believe it will be J.J. McCarthy. I just don't expect to see anything announced this spring because you don't want either one of these guys hopping into the transfer portal, obviously. And then the number one question that has to be answered this spring is who fills the leadership void? I know we have a substantial chunk of our audience are scarlet and gray uh, gawkers. And I know within the Ohio State ecosystem, y'all are telling each other that Michigan was a team of fifth and COVID year seniors, and everybody's gone. That's not true. Michigan's going to return about 33 of the 47 players that were on the Orange Bowl too deep. That's quite a bit of experience actually. That's why they're number four in Bill Connolly's uh, preseason rankings with Ohio State number one, of course. But the players they did lose, Aiden Hutchinson, Brad Hawkins, these guys, Andrew Stuber, these guys were captains or huge in the leadership of this program. This was this past season was the first time that Harbaugh permitted a player-led program. And the results speak for themselves. The players took ownership of the program. The players took ownership of themselves and each other. And you saw a culture that we've seen, if you're you know, a Michigan fan from way back like me, you've seen this culture before. In fact, you saw it most of your lifetime until the last decade. But we haven't seen it at all at Michigan in the last decade. Even with good teams, we didn't have a culture like this one. Keeping that going. Now, the hardest thing to do is establish it the first time. The next hardest thing to do, though, is when those guys leave, is for the next few classes to step up And show that they can pick up the baton from there. And a lot of that, of course, was tested with your head coach spending a month interviewing and seeking out another job in the NFL. So that leadership void, that's going to be far more difficult to replace than the production of players. This is Michigan, for God's sakes, as Brady Hoke once said. It's, you know... You've got guys like Braden McGregor that Alabama wanted that haven't played a meaningful down yet at Russian at, 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 at the edge spot. They're not void of players. The question is, can they retain that culture? And a lot of that gets established this time of year, because once we get to August, it's about preparation for the season. So those are what I think are the biggest questions that Michigan has to answer here during the spring. We'll find out what they think over there on the other side of the scarlet and gray septic tank with our good friend Mark Rogers here in a moment. March is officially here. The madness is underway, which means this is one of the ideal times to become one of our supporters on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. You get my daily college basketball handicapping picks, which have done very well this season. And we're going to pick every NCAA tournament game against the spread. We've done that the last two years and had a phenomenal record both of those seasons. So this is the perfect time right now to sign up to support us. Michigan podcast, patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. That's patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And thanks to all of you who support us year round at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. Well, let's get a different perspective from our good friend and perhaps the one and only reasonable nut himself, Mark Rogers, who has an outstanding channel that you want to be watching here on YouTube, the voice of college football, particularly in the offseason. So much information that you get that helps you get ahead of those uh, sports investment markets. Good to talk to you again, Mark. How you been, brother?
1: Steve, I am doing just fine. And even though that uh, Ohio State-Michigan game should be Deep, deep in the past, uh, man, it seems like every day on social media, I'm reminded by how many days, your Michigan contingent reminding me how many days it's been since Ohio State defeated Michigan. That's now the running total, of course.
0: That's all right. We put up with that for about 10 years, including many of the comments here on our YouTube videos. You know, since you went there, maybe I'm, I'm confident you have a different perspective, okay? But... I have to say this. I'm not one that thinks that bulletin board material doesn't work. I've covered college sports teams as a beat writer. I've been inside the locker room culture. It it absolutely works. It's just most fans don't understand how it works because they're just not as driven as a player. A lot of fans sit there and think, well, if you need that to motivate you, it must not be very good. You have to understand everybody's very motivated. Everybody is. Everybody's motivated. Everybody's, everybody's going to the nth degree on everything constantly. And so whatever you can do to give you that 111, 112, 113% focus and edge because everybody else is going 110 all the time, that's where it makes a difference, okay? But in the annals of, of smack talk to be posted in an opponent's locker room, a guy who wasn't even Michigan's starting quarterback – doing an interview with the publication I founded and used to publish Wolverine digest and my former partner over there, Brandon Brown did an outstanding interview with three of Michigan's prized freshmen, JJ McCarthy, Andrew Anthony, Donovan Edwards, just go over there and watch it. It's fantastic stuff. And the question of the Ohio state rivalry, of course, comes up. JJ McCarthy says, you know, Hey man, we weren't here the last 10 years when Michigan could win. All we know is winning last year. And so, you know, we'd like to keep that going, and we don't plan on that changing. And for that, in 48 hours, to end up as, a, as something that Ryan Day post in the locker room—that what'd you think, JJ McCarthy was gonna say? We were just damn lucky to win this one, and you know, we, I'm glad we got one over my four years here, and I'll be just really happy. What'd you expect him to say? You want some real smack? I, you and I will remember this, Mark. Remember Walter Smith, the guy who said. Yeah, you know, we're we're close to getting John Cooper fired. We hope we get him fired by just keeping beating Ohio State. Now that's some smack. That pissed off his own head coach at the time, by the way. <laughs> okay. So that is some smack. Or Michigan's not not it doesn't matter anymore. They're irrelevant. Terry Glenn. That is some smack. The we've, you know, we only know went in last year. We just plan on keeping that going. That's 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 your edge. That's soft, precise. man. That is freaking
1: soft, Mark. I'm sorry. That's soft. But what it's are your thoughts? It's soft out of the head coach. It's soft out of the head coach. If he's taking that as bulletin board material, then that bulletin board is going to be awfully full by late November. um Yeah, if the players want to run with that, they're 18, 19, 20 years old. They can do whatever they want. And it's silliness to a 50 some year old. But. Yeah, for, for the head coach, for Ryan Day, for all the respect that I've got for Ryan Day, um, you know, be bigger than that. You you don't need that for motivation. It wasn't really a huge dig. That's all J.J. McCarthy knows. Now, he's speaking, it seems, when he says we for the rest of the team, and that's not necessarily accurate. Uh, there are plenty of losses on those players' track records. But for him and him alone, yes, they beat Ohio State with him, um, I think carrying the ball twice. So he didn't have a whole lot to do with it. But uh, he's on the team, and they beat Ohio State. Uh, You know, I think 42-27 should be all over the place uh, in the football facility in Columbus, and that's enough. 42-27.
0: I have to ask you about this, too. Gene Smith saying, if we expand the playoff and have home college football playoff games, we'd rather play him in Indianapolis. Somewhere, dude. First of all, that tells me Gene Smith is close to retirement. Because I don't he'll need armed guard. Unless y'all really are really have gone soft as a fan base. He would need armed freaking guard to get around Columbus if Ohio State was gonna play like Alabama in a home playoff game in 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 your stadium in December, and they moved it indoors to a stadium out of state instead. That somewhere Ohio somewhere Woody Hayes is allowed out of eternity just to come back and and slap you around a little bit. I could not believe, could not believe he said that, even if he was thinking I couldn't believe he said that. What was the reaction of that amongst Ohio State fans, or have you all truly, did one loss to Michigan, you all truly did lose your balls? Just in one loss in 10 years, and you guys just totally lost your balls? Yeah, we're going to play indoors now. Don't play at the horseshoe. I
1: couldn't believe that he said that, Mark. See, if it's a lot warmer in Columbus than it is, it is Ann Arbor. No, it's it's. Uh, this is not a football mentality. This is not a. I don't want to use war terms at this time, but uh, it's it's not a competitor's mentality. To, to make those kind of statements that oh we got to play in the plush little dome because we can't stand forty two degrees the average it was fifty one degrees in Columbus on the date of the last Big Ten championship game shoot what it's whatever it's going to be thirty degrees fifty degrees whatever it's going to be you're a Big Ten football team you're a football team but you are a Big Ten football team that's supposed to be tough he even mentioned. In addition to those comments, see he alluded to the passing game and how important the passing game is. Name CJ Stroud by name. Well, CJ Stroud's not going to be around for a college football playoff appearance at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. But regardless, it's it's just all silliness and it's it's rather pathetic and embarrassing. All right.
0: So we agree on that second one for sure, because that to me just speaks to the culture of our of our traditions and heritages here as Big Ten football fans. Let's get to Michigan specifically. I've laid out the five key questions that I think need to be answered here during the course of this of, of Michigan spring football that got underway last week already. What are your thoughts, Mark?
1: Well, I'll let you know a lot of things on both sides of the ball that intrigue me. I do think while I am not quite um, – set on the loss of Josh Gaddis and what that truly means, because if he did, in fact, take the Jim Harbaugh offense and added some nuances to it, I would believe that Matt Weiss in particular and Harbaugh would be smart enough just to steal the game tape, but they've got it right there, that they could continue to implement whatever Josh Gaddis added to that offense. I think Mike McDonald, and this is no knock on Jess Minter, I'm sure he'll do a fine job, that Mike McDonald's a loss. You know, I I go back to something that Jim Harbaugh said during Big Ten media days and during one of the uh, first uh, news conferences during summer camp last year in explaining why Mike McDonald is so valuable. And he talked about how he had the knack of understanding, evaluating players and understanding where they fit best, what the combinations worked best, and he just had a knack for player evaluation and combinations and schemes and how to fit players into schemes and to hide weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And that's that's difficult to replicate. And so there's a reason why John Harbaugh turned right around and named him defensive coordinator at the NFL level for one of the best franchises in the league. So Mike McDonald, I'm thinking, is going to be a substantial loss.
0: I mean, we had a corner last year starting for us. Vincent Gray, who as a high school recruit ran like a 4.740. I mean, that doesn't get you a scholarship to play corner in Cusa, let alone in the Big Ten at Michigan, right? Okay. And and you saw how much he got exposed in Don Brown's defense, right? Last year, I can only off the top of my head think of like three plays where he was like deep downfield in coverage by himself. And that gets to what you're talking about. I, I agree that he's a loss. I thought that, and I said this again a little while before you came on, I, I, the wrong Michigan assistant won the Broyles Award. He should have won it because you have to understand the way that Jim coaches as well. This is very similar to Norm Chow and Pete Carroll, where Norm Chow was basically the co-head coach of the USC football program. All right, he just ran the offensive side of the ball. I mean, a, and a tremendous amount of authority is delegated to a defensive coordinator at Michigan because Jim is strictly an offensive guy. doesn't mean he doesn't have any say at all, but he knows what his limits are. And so whether you're Don Brown uh, or, um, your, uh, Mike McDonald and now Jesse Minter, uh, you get to, and this is why, you know, the first defensive coordinator got a job as a head coach right away. You basically are a co-head coach of this football team. I mean, you make a lot of those kinds of executive decisions as the defensive coordinator at Michigan. So I it's a package deal. And I kind of get the sense that's maybe more where Ohio State's going with the addition of uh, Knowles from Oklahoma State, that he's basically going to be the co-head coach and run that side of the ball. So, yeah, that's a big loss for sure. What else stood out to you?
1: So what could help Minter, though, is just the personnel additions on the defensive side of the ball through the 2022 signing class. If these guys turn out to be as good and as good quickly as they could be, meaning you lose Brad Hawkins and Daxton Hill. You replace them with Zeke Berry and Keon Sab. Not that they're automatically going to be the starters, but just talking about the infusion of talent in the 22 class on the defensive side of the ball. Those are two top 15 safeties in the country. And, And then, of course, Will Johnson, if he's as special as he may turn out to be as the number one player in the state and a top three cornerback, uh, the infusion of young talent into the secondary could be huge. And I'm really intrigued, Steve, by the emergence, continued emergence, uh, not that he isn't proven himself, but maybe superstardom of Donovan Edwards, uh, who turn- could turn out to be the biggest Michigan offensive star since, I don't know, Desmond Howard biggest star since charles woodson i know that's a lot to ask or expect um so the running back room is is intriguing to me it's loaded it's arguably the best in the big 10 although i do think that hassan haskins uh toughness determination his uh workload that he took on in the fourth quarter of games uh might be a little underestimated and he could be missed Uh, We'll see how good the offensive line is, of course, missing a few starters from last year, but should be just as good as the one that won the Joe Moore Award. So those are the things that stand out to me. Uh, I know that you talked to leadership as well. Ronnie Bell's back. Mm -hmm. Um, He was the one guy in that 2020 team that showed me a lot of fight, a lot of determination, Mm -hmm. tried to spark the team at times, uh, even when it was a bit futile. But he comes back as a, a good receiver, but more of... Uh, making that impact in a really good wide receiver room as a leader. And then, of course, the quarterback competition, uh, I believe it should be wide open. Uh, Cade McNamara, I think it should be explained to him, hey, if you're as good as you um, have shown us and we believe in you, then you need to fight for your job, and it's wide open between J.J. and Cade McNamara. That's the way I would run the show.
0: When I when I look at the roster, on uh, uh, the – the running back duo of Donovan Edwards and Blake corum that's the most explosive pair of running backs we've had here since Bianca Batuka and Wheatley played together. Now, I'm not saying either one of them is going to be as good as either one of those two guys were, but as a combo, we just haven't had, we've been lucky to have one kind of explosive guy, let alone two of them. You're right about Haskins. I mean, Haskins had, if you look at the last 10 years or last five years in college football, top two running backs for yards after contact. Najee Harris is number one. You know who number two is? Hassan Haskins. So when you had Hassan Haskins, third and three was a running down, or it could be. Third and four could be a running down, or it could be. That did give you a lot of flexibility on offense, but they're going to be very explosive there. This is the best wide receiver room at Michigan since way back in the day when we started two pros like uh, Greg McMurtry and Chris Calloway, and their backups were guys like Derek Alexander and Desmond Howard. I mean, we've just not had this kind of – this is this is you know perennial for y'all, but for us – We are not used to having this kind of depth and explosiveness at the receiver position. It's to the point that I often forget Ronnie Bell is coming back, and he only led the team in receiving two years in a row. I kind of forget about him with everybody else coming in. Um, I'm not really worried about the offensive line at all. They've recruited so well there. Uh, uh, To me, Stuber is a journeyman pro. Um, that's not a guy, that's you're not losing Jake Long or somebody there. I think, in fact, the other tackle, Ryan Hayes, who's coming back, I could see him getting beaten out. That's how well Michigan's recruited there. Um, and then you're bringing in a guy who was a Remington Award finalist at Virginia, an All-American, to take over Vastardis at center. Offensively, brother, they're... We are as loaded as we have been in a long time on the offensive side of the ball. And we haven't even addressed the quarterback situation. It is it is possible, if not likely, a guy that led Michigan to the Big Ten Championship is going to lose his job. That doesn't happen very often, you know. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, it's fascinating. You mentioned Sab um, and a couple of guys in the secondary, Will Johnson. You combine them with DJ Turner uh, and Rod Moore and... Um, R.J. Moton, that's as deep of an athletic of a secondary that I, we've had in a long time. The problem is a lot; several of those guys have not played any college football at all, so that's going to take some time. The big issue is the pass rush. And, you know, so much of it was those two guys because you mentioned Mike McDonald covering weaknesses. He covered a lot of weaknesses by we got to play a lot of seven guys back if we wanted to because we knew on just about any passing down against just about anybody – until we got to the Orange Bowl, that we were going to be able to get, uh, you know, pressure with just Hutchinson and, and Ojabo off the edge. That's not a given this year. So we're going to have to play more of a more of a of a modern approach to defense, more disguises, more blitzes, things of that nature. And that will be fascinating to see how that works itself out. The good news is, look at the look at our schedule, Mark, and tell me who's the passing attack that you think is ready to... I mean, Maryland have a good passing attack. They can't stop anybody. So who's the passing attack with a legitimate defense? I don't know that we even come close to playing anybody like that until we get to well into mid-October and against Penn State. So that's several games where you have a chance to get those guys that are inexperienced experienced. But as I told you a few weeks ago, I know that this is kind of the urban legend in your fan base 33 of the 47 guys that were on the two deep in the Orange Bowl in the Big Ten championship game are back on this team. So this idea that this was just a team of fifth year seniors and COVID super seniors that hit the snake eyes jackpot once that is all over Ohio State Internet fandom, that's just not accurate. And you saw that with Bill Connolly's returning production metrics and rankings where Michigan was fourth. Now Ohio State was one, but everybody thinks that they're gonna be have everybody come back. I know there is this internet legend out there that everybody that did anything for Michigan last year is gone. That's actually not even
1: close to the case. I'm just marveling at you bowing your chest more and more by the week. You you just seem like a different man since 4227. And I get it. Uh, you feel much different about this program. Aside from Harbaugh's lunacy and running around uh, seeking every NFL job on the map. Uh, besides that, and yeah. your tirade concerning that, and understandably so for a few weeks, you are you are high on this program that's
0: another reason why i was fine going to bow bill Frieder, and firing his ass for it because i knew what kind of roster they had this is the this is actually an ideal time to probably bring another coach in and let him get off with, with a rocket fuel start with the with the roster the two best classes he's had in, in a row were the 2020 and 2021 classes and then they just had another really good class in 2022 so this roster is in pretty good shape. No, we don't even talk about special teams. I mean, I, there's few teams in the country that have a better kicker and punter combo. We got the Groza Ward guy coming back. I mean, I, this team's pretty set. And the, the, one, the one area where I have the biggest concern, the pass rush, there's not a lot of teams on that schedule that have explosive passing attacks that if you're still a second or two slow getting home, that are going to expose that. Now, the game we most need to win is with a team that's built to blow those kinds of defenses up. So we got 11 weeks to figure that thing out, <laughs> okay? But that's nine months from now. You sure as hell I'm going to enjoy the last few months. And you're right, man. I'm a different man. Same, dude, you were a different man the morning after the wedding night too. You're like, all right, man, that was pretty good. Yeah,
1: I'm a totally different man, Mark. You betcha. Sure I am. Well, prepare for the passing attack and also hope that it uh, is mighty cold in Columbus on that day because obviously the Buckeyes can't handle that. <laughs> you know, you know, Steve. Before you let me go, before you let me go, Woody on Hayes, team, and he, Woody yeah, Hayes, buried
0: look, in those short sleeves, is losing his damn
1: mind right now at this. You yes. realize that he. Where is our Bud Grant mentality? No doubt, yes, that, in that program anymore. Yes, uh, Steve. Before you let me go, I got a quick question for you. So I'm in the process of formulating all-time program rankings, and I just don't want to go with a cut and dry. You know, I, I I take the deep dive. I under you know how I approach it. Even national championships, I'm not taking them as claim national championships. I'm dissecting each one and I'm discarding (laughs) some and I'm adding some to certain teams. What do you think is undervalued, overvalued in terms of all time program rankings? And what would you take into consideration? Um, I, I think overvalued
0: to some respects is national championships. Because it's until it's it's always been a sub. When I say that, it doesn't mean I don't think it has a high level of esteem. I do, Um, and it should absolutely be one of the elite criteria that you would use. But you know, as a historian, this has always been an extremely subjective, subjective process in the history of this sport. Okay, and you know, like one of the national championships we won. Uh, was, you know, what happened is they never used to take an AP poll vote after bowl games. It just gave it to, to the national championship was awarded to the team at the end of the regular season. So it was awarded to Notre Dame. Notre Dame didn't play in bowl games in that era. We went out to the Rose Bowl and beat USC 49 to nothing with the mad magicians. Bump Elliott and those guys, and they turned around and AP changed their mind and say, you know what? New rule. We're voting for the national champion after the bowl games, and they gave it gave it to us. Okay, the whole thing is just highly subjective. Scott Frost basically lobbied his way, the, Nebraska's way, to a half championship in '97 when Tom Osborne retired. It's still subjective now with the playoff. We don't have a playoff. We have an invitational. There's no objective. There's no. There's nothing you can objectively accomplish. Nothing that would guarantee you a spot in the field. So we don't have a playoff now. Right. So given how hugely, how hugely subjective it is, I think you should factor that into how much you add that to your calculus. And I think long term consistency, you know, Michigan had its down period recently. Notre Dame's had one. Oklahoma went three and eight the year before Bob Stoops arrived. There is one program that since World War II has had no down period and it's yours. It's yours. I, in fact, I think I did the math a couple years ago that since, Bo, since Woody won his first national title, I think it was in 51 or 52, Ohio State's averaged like nine and a half wins a season. See, to me, I think, I think that should be esteemed even higher because that, that to me is an – I would look for objective markers, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like, I think conference championships should be elevated higher. That's an objective marker. I earned that. I earned that. No one can really say they've earned a national
1: championship. I I have told people consistently the two factors that I'm going to throw in there right at the top because they're completely objective. Winning percentage and conference championships. Yes. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And then I might put national
0: championships like third. Like, I wouldn't make it, like, seventh or something on my criteria, okay? Because ultimately, that is what we're all playing for here, right, are those things, right? It's just we have this strange thing that the most valuable prize in our sport is entirely subjective in how you win or claim one of them, you know? So I wouldn't make it number one, but I wouldn't make it, you know, out of the top five either. I'd probably start with the same two as you, but then I'd probably put those third, maybe. Good stuff. Appreciate it, man. Look forward to your analysis on that as well. Good to see you again, Mark. We'll talk to you soon, okay?
1: See you, Steve.
0: Thanks. This week's Twitter poll results, we asked you, other than the quarterback battle, what do you think is Michigan's biggest question to be answered during spring football and A solid majority of you, 53.6% said, hey, it's that pass rush that we talked about. 20.1% of you agree with me, though, that leadership is the number one question to be answered. 17.8% said the new defensive coordinator. Only 8.4% said the new offensive coordinator. That brings us to our feedback of the week from Jim B. What do you think about Denard Robinson, shoelace, returning to the Michigan football program? For those of you that missed the announcement... Last week, Denard Robinson is back. Uh, he has a has taken a coaching position at Michigan. It's an off-field coaching position. I think it's something along the lines of assistant uh, director of player personnel and recruiting coordinator. I think it's a tremendous boost. I mean, when you look at, I mean, he. I, I think if anything, Denard Robinson is underrated as a player. He was essentially for four years a one-man team. Um, and he, we we averaged about seven, uh, eight wins a year. That's it, when he was here. And only one of those teams was really good. That was 2011. That was the Sugar Bowl team. But can you even imagine how bad we would have been if we didn't have, pound for pound, one of the best athletes to ever play football at Michigan, playing the most important position, quarterback. Truly great player and an infectious personality as well a star player that today's recruits will know and has a personality that is perfect for the recruiting game i think it's a tremendous addition uh, for the michigan football program and so i i think it can only pay dividends it's just a matter of how big those dividends will be well that's going to do it for this week's episode of michigan podcast don't forget to like rate subscribe share follow Whichever applies on however you access us each and every episode, whether it's right here on YouTube or listening to a podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or elsewhere, please help us to find more Michigan fans just like you and follow us on Twitter in between episodes as well, at Michigan Podcast. At Michigan Podcast on Twitter is how you can follow us there. Until the next time, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue.